morning and welcome to everyone who's tuned in today. We are excited once more to be continuing with our uh, topic, Confidence in Christ in the End Times. But let me start off by commending our young people. What a month, what a youth month, what energy. Man, I wish we had that energy this morning as well. We had such a great time of youth takeover and I want to congratulate and commend everyone who made the youth month a success. You guys have done extremely well. The montage, the, the speakers, everything was superb and I'm trusting that we keep the momentum as we go forward, whether under lockdown or after that. And a special thank you and a special commendation to Tatenda. What a well job done. What an energy. Yeah, you must give me some of that energy. So we thank the youth and the youth leadership, Ms. Dingosi and your team for the good work you have done. And today as we continue, because we've taken some time out, I just want to remind us the intention behind this series which we are hoping we can conclude in a week or two. Hopefully we can compress everything so that we finish off next week. Is that we, we do not aim to, to get aloof and eschatological about stuff, you know. But as I had said, we simply aim to help the believer, you and me, to not be caught up in speculative theologies about end times to alleviate fear emanating from uh, speculative theories as you read the book of Revelation and to inspire confidence in the finished work of Christ Jesus that what Christ has done is sufficient to take you through whatever you need to face in this world and whichever direction it comes from and to help you have a cleaner view or an eye way as you read the end time prophecies that you read them with a better understanding of the New Testament. And as I had already mentioned earlier on, it is very important that as you go into the book of Revelation, you are well versed with the New Testament because the book of Revelation does not necessarily introduce new things that we are not taught already in the New Testament. It rather expands and gives us greater manifestations of those things, whether they be good or evil and so it is with that heart that when we are done with the, the the series you can feel like i can read these books i don't have to be fearful i i, I don't have to have trepidation but i can just read and be excited about the fact that christ is lord and about the fact that i am born again so let's just take a moment and pray that the holy spirit will help us just with simplicity and clarity. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is alive, that is active, that is sharper than any two-edged sword, Lord. We thank you that your word is like a hammer. Father, I pray that by your spirit you will break every rock of speculative theory, every lie, every bondage, Lord, that you will set us into freedom, that we will receive your word with a deep assurance that your word is, is breath, is Holy Spirit inspired for eventually our freedom. Give us this morning clarity of speech, 
and simplicity. Our hearts are open to your working, O Holy Spirit. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Say amen where you are. So I just want to uh, recap a little bit. If you have not been following, you can just watch what we have already recorded. But I just want to recap some of the basics of salvation that we have already spoken about that you need to read the book of salvation of, of Revelation with that background in mind. One, we said, children of God, your name is written in the book of life if you are a child of God. And the last time when we spoke, we were speaking on the fact that the, the, the hierarchy of black um, dominion, as it were, or of the dominion of darkness or of satanic forces, the hierarchy of it does not change with end time prophecies. What we have been dealing with, we will still be dealing with. It will come in different manifestations. We spoke about the men of lawlessness, that even human beings are used by demonic forces. We spoke about the spirit of the Antichrist, that these have already, are already at work. And we looked and we saw that the two beasts, the one that came from the sea and the earth, both of them simply operated in delegated authority that comes from our current enemy, that is the, the devil. What I had said we would expound further on is the fact that you need to have a clarity of the authority of the believer in relation to these forces. And we covered the idea that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, far above every spiritual power and dominion. Therefore, in Christ, we have uh, authority over these forces. So I just want to add to your understanding of that, which is, these are the things you already know, but to tie them together, that we actually do have authority over these forces. The fact that we don't exercise it, the fact that we are ignorant about it, the fact that we are negligent, the fact that we open doors to the enemy to afflict and torment us, it doesn't mean we don't have the authority over these forces. So let's start off with what Jesus said when he sent out the, his disciples in Luke 10, 19 to 20. He says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So he says he has given us power to overcome all the power of the enemy. In James chapter 4, verse 7, James tells us that submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. We've already spoken about that, that the greater aspect, the greater foundation of our spiritual warfare is not engaging the spirits first, but it's rather submitting to God. But the ultimate eventuality is that when we resist the devil, the Bible says he will flee from us. 
First Peter 5 verse 8 to 9 tells us, it says, be sober-minded, be watchful. So in other words, we have a responsibility to play. It says, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Listen to the repetition. That was James. Peter uh, repeated, he says, resist him. Firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And in Matthew 26, Jesus basically tells his disciples how in the process of engaging the enemy, where does the enemy want to target you? In Matthew 26, verse 41, he says, watch and pray. Peter has already told us, be alert, be sober. Many of us are living in a slumber mode, in a neglect mode. But the Bible says, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Paul, now James has spoken, Peter has spoken, Jesus has spoken. Paul is also Eddie, in Ephesians 6, from verse 11 to 13, he says, Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. So we don't play victim. Oh, the devil is chasing me. No, 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 no. We know he has schemes, but we take a stand. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, remember, we have been delivered from the dominion of darkness, according to Paul. But we have also been placed in authority over them. So he admonishes us. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God. Why? So that when the day of evil comes, not if, not maybe, not perhaps. He says, when the day, because there is no day where the devil is on leave. Demons are never on leave. They are continually engaging us. You know, they are con there is no demilitarized zone. He says, therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you have done everything to stand, stand. So which means you do have authority. So what do you don't exercise in a sense, if it was a muscle, we would say you lose it. But in this case, you don't lose your authority. You lose your, your intended victory against the spirits that you are engaging. Next part of the basics of salvation, stuff that you need to know when you read this uh, book of Revelation, is that Jesus is able to keep you from falling. A lot of us read the whole concept of apostasy with the view that, oh, I'm just going to fall. Oh, I'm, I'm struggling. Let me just say this. Oftentimes, there'll come uh, self-condemnation. But the Bible says when your heart condemns you, Christ is greater than your heart. Two, there is, no there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But most importantly, it's the fact that the devil and you allowing him to speak to you will often come to you and 
and challenge your salvation. Sometimes you think, am I born again? Am I not born again? Sometimes you will ask yourself to the extreme, have I committed unpardonable sin? Sometimes, here's what I believe. When you start asking things about, am I born again? I'm not born again. That to me is actually a proof that you are born again, that the Spirit of God is convicting you about stuff that a a sinner or an unbeliever would not even be concerned about. So the Holy Spirit convicts us of those things and the devil wants to condemn us. But you can't be reading the book of Revelation with the idea that, oh, I'm going to fall out. Oh, I'm going to be deceived. You have as a child of God, if you are born again, that is to believe that Jesus is able to keep you from stumbling and falling and to present you holy and blameless before the Father. So this is what 2 Thessalonians 3, 3 says. It says, but the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Jude tells us in verse 1, he says, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called... This is according to Romans 8. Now, when you read it from verse 28 going down, it says, Who are loved in God the Father, and listen to this, and kept for Jesus. Verse 24 of the same book of Jude. He says, Jude then says to, her, to us, To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault, and with great joy. So whatever you go through, be aware that salvation is by grace through faith. It's a gift. So God would not have put us in a place where he's unable to keep us and to preserve us. God will preserve us if we are truly saved. And if we're going through stuff, he has already provided a way out. In 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, it says, No temptation has overtaken you or has seized you, except, you the, except that is common to men, to every one of us. Then it says these words, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, the next thing I want to say is this. Many people ask, so how will I know who's the Antichrist? Like I told you, it's not important to say this is the Antichrist. You fall into speculative theories, you know. Antichrists have come in many forms. And people have wrongly, erroneously, and falsely so pointed and accused others as antichrist, and they keep changing every year. But what I can assure you is that, and this is also a basic understanding of our salvation, is that God's children are able to discern the antichrist. So in other words, even if I don't know who he is, if I am led by the Spirit of God, if I live 
and meditate and obey the word of God. I'm immersed in the word of God. The coming and the operations of the Antichrist are discernible to me. Listen to what John says. In John, 1 John chapter 4, I'm reading from verse 1 to verse 6. This is what John says. Says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit. So, which means God's children, here John was not writing to a specific group. He says, God's children should be in a position and must test spirit. And when I speak about spirit, every spirit, whether they are demonic, whether they are angelic, even when they are on the pulpit, when they are a uh, preaching when they are worshiping when test the spirits around you to see whether they are from God because many false prophets have gone out into the world now he gives you the how he says this is how you can recognize the spirit of God every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. Now, the other aspect of discerning this, the spirit, it's the fact that Paul tells us that the Holy Spirit gives the gift of discerning the spirit in, in, in 1 Corinthians 12.10. It says, to another is given miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. Now, let me say something here that may not augur well with other people. But here's the truth. Every gift that is in the body of Christ given to particular individuals is actually available in measure to the rest of the body. That's number one. Number two, it is available to the rest of the body also through desiring. Paul says, desire spiritual gifts, which means what I do not have, I can desire. But, for instance, whilst there may be prophets, every child of God can prophesy. Because prophecy is the mind of God through his word and his spirit. And so in a similar manner, you can discern spirits through the word of God. You can discern spirits through the Holy Spirit. You can discern spirit through the working of the gift of discernment. So there is a warning for us. Those of us who just like, okay, I just like watching TV, listen to different preachers and so on and so forth. It is good, 
but it does not excuse you from practicing discernment as you are listening. So here's what a, a, an admonition and a, and a caution is given by Paul to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he says, The Spirit clearly says in the latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. How do they end up following? Because they did not descend. They blindly follow what the pastor says. They forget that what I say is not necessarily true because I say it. It's only true if the Bible confirms it to be true. And not by one scripture, but by a mouth or two witnesses. Scripture confirms scripture. Listen to what Colossians 2, 6 tells you and I. From 6 to 10. It says, So then, speaking to you and me, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Now, mark what we need to be doing. Rooted and built up in him. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. So many of us are, we have shallow roots in the gospel. We know the, the, what our churches teach. We know regulations and rules. We know what our prophets tell us. But we don't know what the Bible actually says. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. See to it means it is your responsibility. You can't listen to a preacher and say, oh, the man of God say, no, no, no. See to it yourself by delving in the word, by prayer, by asking the Holy Spirit, by discerning what is being said. See to it that no one takes you captive through whole and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And mark this ways. And in Christ, you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Every power and authority, whether angelic or demonic, Christ is the head. But the Bible says you and I have been given fullness in him. So we are given fullness in authority, given fullness to understand the operations and to, to descend and resist as a result. The next aspect of the basics of salvation that we want to cover it's a view on suffering. It's amazing how many of us have a distorted view of suffering as Christians. Many of us actually believe that Christians should not suffer. So, develop a biblical view on suffering. So, I want to read a few things. Just from the onset, let me clarify. Christians will suffer. That's inevitable. But... We are not supposed to suffer essentially from the things that we are redeemed from. The things that we are redeemed from, we need to walk in the fullness of what Christ has done, has accomplished on the cross of Calvary. But that does not immunize us from suffering. So what is the proper biblical understanding of suffering? 
in one life. Christians will inevitably suffer for Christ. So you see, suffering for Christ, that's what I'm talking about. If you go and read the book of First Peter, Peter tells us a lot about suffering. He says, when we suffer, we must not be ashamed because the spirit of grace is upon us. But he also tells us, let's not suffer as murderers, as meddlers, as thieves, and so on and so forth. But the bottom line is, we are going to suffer. So, let's just collate some verses around it. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, this is what Paul says to Timothy. He says, in fact, everyone who's, who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Then he tells the, the Philippians, the church in Philippi, uh, in Philippians 1.21, he says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. So we don't just believe, we suffer for Jesus as well. First Peter 2, verse 19 to 21, and then 23 says, For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. Unjust. So it doesn't mean it will always come fairly. Because they are conscious of God. So when we suffer, we must be conscious of God. But is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and enjoy it? But if you suffer for doing good and you enjoy it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. So Christ didn't just leave us example of power and authority. And no, he also left us the example of servanthood, washing one another's feet. He also left us an example of suffering. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. When they held their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threat. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And in the same book of Peter, Peter tells us, 1 Peter 3, from 14 to 15 this time, it says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Let me just take a, a, a little bit of a detour and I'll come back to this point. Our suffering, persecution, as I say, is inevitable. It's in the Bible. And as South Africans, we are very lax. We are lax in a way we think about persecution. It's happening in West Africa. It's happening in Afghanistan. It's happening in Kazakhstan. It's happening in communist countries. I, I met a man from Jordan who said, when you get born again, it's a death sentence because the, the, the Islamic extremists will kill you 
for, 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 in a sense, defaming their faith. So there are people who, as we speak now, are already dying. So this theology for them is not a new thing. When you read the, the, the Fox's book of Matthias, you realize that people die. They knew that I'm going to die for Christ. So when you and I are still wondering whether we will die for Christ, whether we will be read, maybe either we are not born again or we are actually taking for granted what we have signed up for. And in the context of our country, South Africa, the very fact that our constitution is liberal and it, it gives freedom, it doesn't mean eventually we will never come to loggerheads with the government and the power. We will, that's inevitable, because at one point we will have to give account for our faith and the things we disagree with, and that time the government will show you that they are gloves off. And that time we will also have to be gloves off for the sake of Christ and his testimony. And so don't live under the illusion that it's, it's well, it's going to remain that way. It's not going to remain that way. But the Bible says when that time comes, be able to explain your hope, your truth with love and in a gentle manner. So Christians will die. And in the book of Revelation, we have read that the devil is going to fight and wage war against those who hold to the testimony of Christ and that he will overcome them, he will kill them. So I just want to read a portion from Revelation 6-9. It says, um, so... Let, let, let me read it from, 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 from this version that I wanted to read it from. It says, And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain. Listen why they were killed. Those that were killed for the word of God and the testimony for which they held. The testimony of Jesus Christ. So we will die. It's inevitable. If you don't die of natural death or other things, eventually you will have to face the fact that somebody does not share your testimony of Christ. But there's good news. The good news is that eventually we win. Eventually we rule and reign with Christ. Let me just read these words of comfort from 1 Peter 5, 10 to 11. It says, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and stand fast. To him be the power forever and ever. So we will suffer, but he will make us strong. 2 Corinthians 4.17, Paul says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So when we suffer, we are being renewed, but we are being prepared for glory, and the Spirit of grace is upon us. And so we will suffer, we will go through personal trials, tribulations, and so on and so forth. So the book of Revelation from that perspective does not introduce anything new. 
from Nero to the current affairs of Christian persecution. Christians have been persecuted. It's just that you and I are still waiting in line to have our share if the, the Lord does not come. The last aspect I want to touch on is the question that uh, someone has asked me about the 144,000 people recorded in the book of Revelation. As you may well, there are some people who have created an exclusive theology about the 144,000 people and insinuating the ideas that there's no point preaching the gospel because there are 144,000 people chosen or others are of the view that there is no point being saved. You can't be saved. But let me just highlight this, that of the biblical interpretation rules, there are, there's quite a number of them, but the most fundamental is to read what is written before you know the Greek and the what in the language that you are reading the Bible in. Read what is written. So I'm going to read what is written about the 144,000 and I will let you interpret it for yourself. I'll just make brief comments on that. So it's, this number is found in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. So let's start with Revelation 7. It says, after this, I'm reading from verse 1. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from where? From all the tribes of Israel. So what does the New Testament teach about salvation? It says, the gospel is, is the power of God unto salvation. First for the Jews and then for the Gentiles. So this is not in, inconsistent with what the, the New Testament has already taught you. First for the Jews, first for Israel. But the fact that Israel is chosen, the fact that there are people chosen from Israel does not exclude the Gentiles. In chapter 14, I'm reading from verse 1, verse 1 again. It says, Then I looked, and therefore there before me was the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him the 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of a rushing waters and like a loud of peal of thunder. Then the sound I heard was like that of a harpist playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the, the four living creatures and the elders. Sounds like we won't be singing that song. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. Now listen to another explanation of who they are and what is the criterion. It says... These are those who did not defile themselves with women. I don't know whether it suggests that there are no women, but I'll leave that to you. For they kept themselves to they, they kept themselves pure. 
They followed the lamb wherever he goes. They were purchased from among men and offered as first fruits to God and the lamb. No lie was found in their mouths. They are blameless. Another version says, these are the virgins. So when you look at the criterion, nothing is inconsistent. Let me add also to say that if you, 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 you're looking at chapter 7, you know that salvation is for both the Jews and the Gentiles. If you're looking at chapter 14, it says the 144,000 were virgins. Now, Moses was not a virgin. Peter was not a virgin. I guess all these other apostles were not virgins. You know, Elijah does not seem to have been one. So all these other guys that we see as part of salvation. If the exclusivist theology was right, then all these people would not even be saved. But needless to say, read what is written. As you read further, it says, then I saw a multitude from every tribe, every language group, and so on and so forth. So don't be bothered by people who keep overemphasizing the 144 thousand and don't you know don't be perturbed rest rest in the fact that Christ has covered you and so this is where we want to land it up we land it for today there's two things we will need to cover for the next two weeks one or we'll see whether we compress them into one week one is how did Christ prepare the churches the Asian churches that this letter of Revelation was written to. Because from there, from there, we can learn how are we going to be prepared for end times. Two, we need to cover how then, when I have read the book of Revelation, what should be my response? Because the book of Revelation evokes a response from us. What should be that response? I thank you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your truth as we learn it. That Jesus on the cross of Calvary has covered us. I pray for those who have not decided to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. That as they are listening to these words, they may know that there is no salvation found in any other name except the name of Jesus Christ. There is no name in heaven on earth and the earth below by which we can be saved, except the name of Jesus Christ. And that at the mention of that name, every knee shall bow of things in heaven and on earth, and every tongue shall confess, Jesus is Lord. May they come to the knowledge of the saving Christ. And I pray for those who already know Jesus, to be rooted in him, to know that Jesus is the final solution. Jesus is Lord. Amen. See you next week. Have a wonderful week ahead. Thank you.